With the start of September, we start a new series called Small Things, where we take a look at Mark and the the ministry of Jesus and how he used small things to leave a huge impact. Because so often we think that we have to do something big. We have to say something big in order to do something of importance. And that's just not the case. We start the series off talking about small words. And this is what the sermon is about today. Small words. Things that are not grand. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have a master's in theology in order to say something that means it will have an impact. You don't have to say this long speech in order to convince people about who God is. You just need to use some small words. And this is where we go today with the sermon, Small Words. Today marks a very fun, exciting new day because we finally get to move on to a new subject. We are starting this whole discussion on small things because now we look at our lives, we look at the church, we have now a vision which will continue to be developed and, and brought to light as we grow and change, but now... We need to learn what we can do about it. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, it's for us to decide, we are small right now. Which means many of our actions will be small. But one of the greatest things that I have learned throughout much of my time in ministry is that God loves to use small things. And it's on those very small things that he actually builds his kingdom. And so we are then going to be entering into the book of Mark to look at the life of Jesus, his ministry, and how he used small things to change the world, to bring about something so much greater than what could have happened in ourselves. And so this is where we get to start, and it's, it's a great place for us to look because, again, we're small. But I don't think that that's a a negative by any means. I think it puts us in a wonderful, beautiful place to do something great. Now, one of the biggest complications that I hear when the subject of outreach begins to come up is the fact that people don't know what to say. And it's true. I would dare say that Across every church, there's this epidemic of people not quite feeling like they have the words to say in order to reach out to people who don't know about Christ. In fact, a staggering statistic would say that 99% of people who are a part of church are not theologically trained in the education of Christianity. 99% of people have not gone to seminary 
gone to a Bible college to get a degree about God's word and, and to learn how to do ministry from an educational standpoint. And, and that's to be expected. That's okay. Uh, it's small. Those who are actually trained in, in studying God's word, trained in, in the hermeneutics and, and the, the different principles, because, it, well, I mean, honestly, do we all need to know how to discuss the, the impact of the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls in relation to sources of Q and how we translate the Bible? My, my point, many of you are giving me a blank stare and saying, I don't even know what words you're saying right now. <laughs> I trust you. It's all legitimate. It is all true. But, but that is something that is for some people to learn, some people to study. But the problem is, is that then we take that and we say, well, since I don't know how to talk about that stuff, I'm disqualified from talking to other people about God. That, that isn't necessarily the case. Now, some would even point to me and say, well, look at you, pastor. You are in the best position to do ministry, to reach out to people, because that's your job. And, okay, I can see that, but let me build another defense for you. Uh, yes, I, I do have some advantages when it comes to speaking about God's word. But many of those advantages don't come from my education. It comes from the fact that at the age of 16, I decided to get serious about reading God's word. And so then I built within my life the process of reading his word front to back, day after day after day after day. And so for almost 12 years, God, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> after almost 12 years, I've been reading his word day after day, building this habit through high school, through college, through full-time jobs. That's more of my advantage. Now, in opposition to that, I would actually dare say it's harder for me to reach people than any of you. The reason being, as soon as someone figures out that I'm a pastor, walls come up. Either the negative walls of, oh, I don't want to talk to that religious guy, or the walls of, oh, well, if you're a pastor, you need to say these things. You need to, you need to wow me with your, your spiritual uh, communications. You need to be able to explain to me all these depths of questions that I have, and if you can't answer them, well, then you, you don't deserve my time. And so it puts me at a disadvantage to try to speak to people because they'll look to me to say all these fun and enlightened things. And I'll tell you what, I don't have that much enlightened thought throughout the week. And that's okay. The other problem that I run into, specifically me, some might be better than myself, is, is with the training, the knowledge that I have, I like to talk. We talked about this in Sunday school. James tells us to be slow to speak. I'm not always slow to speak. And when I do speak, sometimes I will try to explain things in a way that is so complex that then it can't be understood. And my wife continues to remind me of that. 
even with our daughter, when she'll say, well, why are you doing this? And then I go into a long discussion about why I'm cutting the lawn at this certain height and what it does to the, the ground and how it works to fertilize and all this stuff. And then she'll say, just, just say you have to cut it because it gets long. That's all you had to say. You know, and, and I'll do that when it comes to, to ministry things. Well, what, what do you think about death? And then I'll go into this long discussion, and I'll start pulling out all these resources and all this stuff, and, and then pretty soon this quick question begins to be this really bogged down lesson on something that the person standing there and saying, I, I just wondered about what your thoughts were. <laughs> like, a simple yes or no would have been fine. So, I would then challenge us as we begin this whole march through Jesus' life. To not sell yourself short. To not think of you any less because you don't have the training. To not think that because you don't have the words or that you struggle to understand some of the concepts that then suddenly you are ill-equipped to do this work. Because what we will see is that Jesus sparked an entire revolution with small words. And that's where we go to today. We, we start out looking at how he begins his ministry in Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14 through verse 20. Now, as you turn there and, and get situated, uh, the book of Mark is, is fascinating. If you want to look for a book that tells you how to do ministry, because it's very quick, Mark is a fast-paced book. In the span of 13 chapters, he talks about John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, and the temptation of Jesus. In 13 chapters, I think the book of Matthew spends 13, or 13 verses, and I think Matthew spends 13 verses just explaining one section of Jesus' genealogy. Mark totally skips his birth. That, that's not necessary to talk about right now. I want to talk about the things that get to going. And it's all about action. What is Jesus doing to change the world? And so it's a wonderful book when we begin to talk about outreach because it's all very fast-paced. This is how you do it. This is how you move. So, starting at Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20, if you are able, I do ask that you please stand for the reading of God's word. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word today, as we look at how Jesus began his ministry and, and how he used small words to make a huge impact, I pray that you may speak to our hearts, that you may challenge us to go further with what we have instead of looking off into the distance and saying, well, if we only can get that far, we can do something. Help us, Father, to realize that you have equipped us 
in a very powerful and meaningful way right here, right now. It is in your name we pray. Amen. The entire course of human history changed in the matter of six verses. Absolutely amazing when you think about it. The, the, the calling of Jesus has always been uh, so fascinating to me because of the implications that it has. A few simple words and all of a sudden men are, are leaving everything to go follow this teacher. Absolutely amazing. Now, we have this opportunity. Our vision, if any of you can remember, is to build meaningful relationships and to cultivate a Christian community for those who are hurt and, uh, and asking questions. That is what we are going to do in the city of St. Joseph and the surrounding towns. That is how we're going to reach lives. That's how we're going to change our present circumstances. And now we get to look at the calling to see how we might be able to address the very first thing, which is to introduce people to who we are. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Follow me and I'll make you fish for people. Such small words, such delicate words. One of the best things about using small words instead of having this, this grand speech, this, this huge uh, lecture about what to do and, and what not to do and, and all these things that Jesus could have done. I mean, uh, honestly, being the Son of God, he had the, the power, he had the knowledge to give th a wonderful explanation of human history and, and how they needed to follow him so that he could change the world, and, and he didn't do any of that. He didn't talk about a grand expansion that he was going to do. He didn't talk about how he's going to bring about all of these different changes and, and and, and backward thoughts to the law. Follow me. I'll make you fish for men. Fish for people. It, it, so simple. And the advantages that we have when we use small words are these. These three. Small words are direct. Small words are relatable. And small words are reusable. Okay? Direct, relatable, reusable. These are the things that make small words so powerful, and this is what we get to see in Jesus' calling. Because when we begin to talk to someone, we want to convey a message. We want to tell them about something that we believe. The problem is, is that often we are not direct in what we say. This comes from many different reasons. We might not be direct because, well, the message might be a little tough for them to hear. It might be a little too brash, so I want to tone it down a bit. And so then we begin to add all these words to comfort and to, to soften the blow of what we want to say. And then we hope that they hear it. All the while, while we speak these things, people are choking on the words that we're trying to shove down their throats because they're, they're not able to process all of it because it's just too much. Similar to how my daughter is when I try to explain certain things. 
and I give her way too complicated of an explanation for a three-year-old. And she's just like, I don't even know what, what to do with that, Dad. And she runs off and totally forgets. We have to learn to be direct with what we say to people, to not be afraid of how it comes across. Because, look, look at Jesus' example. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Do you think that offended a couple people? For him to be going around and, and saying, you need to repent? Yeah, it, it probably did. Some people probably thought, who are you to tell me that I need to change my life? Well, the same comes true with what we have to say. This whole book right here kind of has the tendency to offend people. That's okay. At some point in our lives, it probably offended us too. But if we're not direct with what we are saying, it gets all messed up. It gets all confused. The truth begins to get shrouded in a bunch of adjectives and, and imagery that tries to make it something more palatable. Our world does not need words that are palatable. They need words that are true, that are honest. Now, another reason people might steer clear of this is because we might not fully believe it ourselves. And so then when we try to explain a concept, when we try to talk about something, we, we begin to explain it and we add words to it and we begin to discuss it more and we try to even convince ourselves as we're saying it of what we believe. And people catch on to that. People understand when we're just trying to say enough so that we eventually can think that we believe it. Now, one of the, the best direct small words I have learned in my ministry, when people come to me and they'll say, well, how do you do this? How do you overcome that? Why are you like this? Because Jesus saved me. How wonderful, direct, small that is. Why is your marriage so perfect? Side note, our marriage is not perfect. We just work really, really hard at it. Uh, but we have people all the time. We, we've had countless people say, well, how is it you guys don't fight all the time? How is it that you guys don't argue and, and you don't? Because Jesus saved us. And so we look at things differently. Small words that then they say, but how does Jesus saving you affect your marriage? Well, now we can talk. Now we can begin to have a discussion about what Jesus does in your life and why that affects your marriage. Why can you be happy when all this stuff is going on? Why can you be happy when you're out of a job? Why can you be happy when, when your family seems to hate you? All this stuff. Well, because Jesus saved me. doesn't have to be complicated. It's very direct. This is why I am who I am. course, then, we go on to the fact of how small words are relatable. And this is, this is the fun part. This is one that I like the most because I, I like using analogies. I like using uh, stories to convey something. 
And so when Jesus goes and he sees fishermen, he's walking along the water, and of course, you know, you see people with nets and they're hauling fish up. What does he say? Follow me and I'll teach you how to blacksmith? No. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Small words that actually connected with who he was talking to actually meant something because they understood the idea of fishing they understood the idea of catching fish and trying to draw them in so now all suddenly he adds one little change to that sentence and i'll teach you to fish for people all suddenly they have this new concept you're going to teach me how to catch people how to draw them in that's interesting yeah let's go and they begin to follow Then when he is traveling throughout the fields, he's saying, oh, look at, look at the grain. Look at, look at how you cast seed out onto the ground. He's not saying, oh, look at the grain. Now, uh, if they were to build a big building here, they would take stones and they would lay a foundation and make it. No, he, he was addressing the situation as it was so that they could hear it more firmly. This is where we might be a little intimidated when we go to talk to people because you think, well, how, how can I be that quick on my feet? I'm not good at thinking of analogy. I'm not good at thinking of all this stuff. One word, observation. I think of Sherlock Holmes a lot when I think of observation. Sherlock Holmes, the, the mastermind, being able to see just the tiniest little details to, to conclude what is going on. We don't need to have his skill level of observation, which is good. Uh, you're sitting at the beach. You see some people building a sandcastle, and then all of a sudden it, it just kind of crumbles as the waves continue to come up and hit it. Man, isn't building sandcastles difficult? The sand just, it, the foundation is just not always there to hold it up. But you know, I know of a foundation that never gives way. Relatable. They're, they're there. They can think of it. They see how the sand does not hold. But you're telling me about a foundation that holds? You're telling me about a foundation? What, what kind of foundation can, can I use for the sandcastle so it doesn't fall down? Then you have conversation. I love bread. In case you haven't realize that yet. In case you, you don't know me yet, I absolutely adore bread. Everything about bread is just wonderful and good and, and delicious, and I, I love all sorts of bread. Probably pumpernickel is not my most favorite, but it, uh, it's an it's acquired taste. That's why I love going over to Panera so much, because that's bread. I get to talk to people about bread. I can connect to them about bread. Some of the best conversations is when I say, yeah, I mean, I, I, love, I love doing bread and stuff. How are, how are you with baking? And then an uh, employee at Panera says, well, actually, I'm really not good at baking at all. And then that gives a good conversation because it's like, what? <laughs> you work at a bread shop and you don't bake well? Let's talk about that. <laughs> and then I can say something like yeast. We all know the wonderful, fascinating story about Jesus saying to his disciples, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Again, something relatable. Man, 
isn't it funny how yeast works? It just gets into everything and it changes everything. All these small, relatable words. Opening up doors for conversations. Doors for people to begin to think, to see differently. The final aspect of small words is the fact that they're reusable. We, we like recycling nowadays. We like to reuse, to upcycle, to, to take something old and make it new again. And, and that's the hip thing to do, right? We want to be a hip church. Do we, want, do we want to convey to people that we're with the times? Let's learn how to reuse our words. Follow me with this. I know, you're, you're giving me some blank looks, and it's okay. When Jesus calls people to repent for the kingdom of God is near, he didn't say that first. John the Baptist was saying that for a couple years before him. He was already doing that, and Jesus took the words and recycled them. He reused them because people had already been doing it. And it's such a small phrase that people can remember it enough to reuse it themselves. It's not complicated. It's not a long story that they had to try to remember. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Bam, they have it. They can say it to someone else. They can tell that story over and over again because it's so simple, so small. Follow me and I'll make you fish for people. Again, a very small phrase that they can use over and over again because you see a fisherman, they can relate. And it's so quick that they can say it and not have to try to remember this long phrase, this long explanation of, of why we're fishing for people. Many of the times what we need to do the most is just talk to people in a way that they can remember. Because what good does it do if all of a sudden we're, we're talking to someone and we spend an hour discussing them with all the things about God and they walk away and they say, I can't remember a blessed thing that they just said. That doesn't do us any good. That doesn't do them any good. We have to develop words that can be reusable. Words that they can hold on to in their lives so that when they come into trouble, when they think about something later on down the road, they can say, ah, I remember what he said about that sand and the foundation. Now it all makes sense. And then they can tell someone else about it. But if we don't use those small words that can be reusable, people already say, yeah, I know there's this Christian. He said something about something or other, but man, it was so long and complicated. I stopped listening halfway through because he was just saying things that I wasn't even understanding. He was saying things about this and that and blood and, and a body and how they eat it. And I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. These small words that we can say, many of them we can Again, reuse, right from the Bible themselves. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The healthy, you don't need a doctor, but the sick. People are not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for people. And even things like repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. These are all very small words that people can hold on to. They can take with them. And that's what's most important. 
as we begin to think about how we are going to reach people, how we're going to convey with them the importance of knowing God, we need to give them something that they can hold on to, something they can understand, something they can relate to, and something that is true. And that's why we need to understand the value of small words. To not think that we have to overinflate what we try to say. To not try to think that we have to answer every single question that can come up in a conversation. But to give them the simple, direct truth in the context that they're living so that then they can hold on to it. And this is the the beginnings of it. Because after this, Jesus goes on and he starts doing all these crazy, wonderful things. He starts healing people. He starts saving them. He starts saying of all these different teachings that begin to challenge society. But it all started with repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And follow me. I'll make you fish for people. Well, now we get the opportunity uh, to participate in communion, and, and this, is, this is a wonderful, sacred tradition of the church, something that we hold very dear to what we do. And I could go in, the, the, the district gives us a wonderful outline that explains all this stuff, and it is paragraphs long, that we could talk about today. I could read it all and explain how we, we have an open table versus a closed table and, and how we have the, the, the foreshadowing of, of the, the final dinner and all these wonderful things. But in light of the most recent conversation about small words, I think it's best for us to just trim it down today. We celebrate the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, proclaiming the fact that he is alive and returning through the act of communion. If I could have two people come up to help distribute. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these signs, these emblems of our salvation, the bread that is your body and the, the juice that is your blood. Thank you for the fact that you died for us. But Lord, also when you're here, you made use of teaching us your ways. And thank you so much that you did not set out this grand expensive, explosive paradigm where we had to have stadiums filled with hundreds of thousands of people to hear messages that went for hours and hours. You said small, simple words to impact lives, to call people to something greater. So now as we proclaim your death and resurrection, I pray that you may help us to grab onto these small words that you have taught us.
in preparation of his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus had one last meal with his disciples. And there he gave them the ritual to help them have hope until his return. Taking the bread, he broke it and gave thanks, telling them that this is the body broken for us. Let us eat of it in remembrance of his death. In the same way, he took the cup and gave thanks, saying that this is his blood poured out for our forgiveness. Let us drink of it together, proclaiming the forgiveness of our sins. So no, the church, by any measurable standards, is poorly equipped if the measures that we use are the understanding and an educational background of its people. We are poorly equipped if it depends on those who have masters of theology and doctorates. We are poorly equipped if it comes down to the fact of how best we can debate the existence of God. But praise be to God, it does not. It does not require us to be able to do a long speech or a, a discord on translations and dead languages. God loves to use small words, things that people can hold on to. Lord, we do not always have words to say we often will feel inadequate to speak in situations. May you teach us how to use small words to have a huge impact, to trust that you will help us be direct in what we say, to relate to the people we are speaking to, and to say it in a way that is reusable for them as well. Lord, we thank you for all of this. And it is in your name we give you praise and honor. Amen. I now send you into your community to make Christ-like disciples. Go. You are dismissed.